I'm Cinder Niemela, and along with Charlotte Gilmano, welcome to the Inspired Wisdom Podcast. I believe the most powerful gifts you can give yourself is time to reflect on your talents and experience, and then have the wisdom to act with confidence and grace. This podcast is for entrepreneurs, leaders, and individuals who want to thrive in work and life. Your journey to being connected and inspired by the world around you starts right now. Hi, today my guest is Marsha Reynolds. She's an expert organizations call on to breathe life into their connections, conversations, and cultures. She's energetic, funny, and 100% committed to transformational leadership. In fact, she embodies transformational leadership. But as a child, she was described as precocious, opinionated, and with some kind of social problem. When she was 19, she found herself thrown in jail, suffering from drug abuse. It was her cellmate that taught her she was a smart, strong woman who cared about people. Her cellmate told her one day, when you get that in here, when you know who you are, you can do anything out there. Over the past 30 years, Marsha has spoken and coached leaders in 38 countries and reached over 100,000 people worldwide in her training programs. She's published three books, completed two master's degrees, one in broadcasting and one in adult learning, and she has a doctorate in organizational psychology. And she has two highly engaging and entertaining TEDx talks. I'll provide links to the talks in the notes. Marsha continues to research transformational leadership to help startups and establish Fortune 500 companies prosper in today's chaotic, unpredictable world. Please join me in my interview with Dr. Marsha Reynolds. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I wanted to talk to you about your latest work. And as I understand it, and I haven't read the book yet because it's not out yet, but as I understand it, it's about reflection. Yeah. You know, I had a really nice quote today. I, I coached someone this morning and she said, when you reflect to me what you're hearing, it's like helping me see doors on a concrete wall. Isn't that fabulous? Wow, that is. Yeah. It's called uh, reflective inquiry. So how did you get interested in it? Well, you know, my last book, The, the Discomfort Zone, I wrote because... Um, I just was noticing that uh, coaches would take their clients all the way up to this point and then wouldn't kick them over the edge. And, you know, and so I started exploring uh, what is it that um, would stop them? Well, what were they afraid of? And what was, what I started to notice was that um, it wasn't so much the question, but they were more afraid of, reflecting what was in the moment, especially if it would be a difficult reflection to hear. So I, you know, and back in the days when we first created the competencies, using reflection, paraphrasing, summarizing, labeling, um, you know, noticing, noticing the emotions. And that was just as much as part of what coaching is, is questions. But that's gotten lost. 
And everybody's in search of the powerful question. I, I said, you know, I think there's more to what is reflection and what does it, um, what's the impact on the brain when people reflect to us, not just ask us questions. And then I found um, this fabulous book um, with a great quote uh, with the guy who actually coined the term reflective inquiry. You know, and we always think that um, coaching comes from like therapy models, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy or consulting. Um, and I read this and I'm like, well, of course. So my second master's degree was in adult learning and instructional design um, in education. Mm -hmm. And I've always been really interested in how we learn. You know, when I look at the brain, I'm looking at it as a learning machine <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, not just this thing of feelings and needs and desires. And this guy named John Dewey wrote a book in 1910 called How We Think. And John Dewey was an educational reformer. Um, and what he wanted to do was to bring more of kind of the Socratic way into uh, the classroom. So he was the first one to say we have to engage um, children even to think differently. And we do that by reflecting what we hear and then asking them questions. And he said, um, uh, inquiry is more than asking questions. Um, he says, when you really look at inquiry and combine reflection with it, that uh, inquiry provokes insight, questions just get answers. And mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, isn't that fabulous? <laughs> that is. That's really fabulous. I know. And it's like, oh my God, he's the one. And then, you know, all the stuff that I've been learning from the neuroscientists about um, it takes an outside disruption to break through our, our resistance and our frames and our automatic uh, processing. You know, they're all writing that recently. And I read, read his book and I'm like, oh, he wrote about this in 1910. What when we hold up, uh, and it's not even a mirror, I call it active replay. Um, when we hold up almost like the movie in front of people where they can see um, how they think and how they're reacting. And, and, and it's, it's like, it's almost like that's all it takes for them to, uh, to view this, to see the gaps in their logic, the inherited beliefs that no longer serve them. Um, and start to uh, be able to explore their fears, what they really want, uh, that there's so much power in just the reflective statements. Um, and, then, and then the questions are just the curiosity based on what we notice. Mm -hmm. Here's what I heard, here's what I saw in terms of your shift of emotions. And, um, you know, and, and, and what I'd like to explore with you. Um, and, you know, it was really fascinating that this guy 30 years later in the 40s read Dewey's book and said, wow, I predict that sometime in the future there's going to be a new profession and it's going to be people that really just help us think. And I think we'll call them knowledge Sherpas. <laughs> knowledge Sherpas. Oh, that's a great term, isn't it? I know. And I said, oh my God, 
he predicted coaching. He just he had a different name for it. We're knowledge sherpas. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> I know. And I've got it in my book because I'm, you know, laying this all out of what it is we're really doing and where did it come from. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the more I get into this and, and when I do demos and, you know, for uh, ICF chapters and the more it's, I use reflective statements, then I even use questions. And I believe that if you use a powerful uh, reflective statement, then what follows could be a closed question, but it's not, it won't evoke a yes or no answer. It's, mm. you know, it's like, um, uh, is this true for you? You know, here's what I heard you say, is that true for you today? Doesn't provoke a yes or no. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's when I'm clarifying uh, what I notice, what I hear, hmm. what I see, um, that, you know, certainly on balance, I'll use more open questions. Um, but to say that a closed question is bad is like, no, I have found them to be extremely useful. You know, and back in the day when we were taught to coach you about distinctions and you know, is it this or is it this? I mean, that's a closed question, essentially. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I say, you know, we've lost in the, in the rules and the markers that we've lost this uh, essence of what it is we're really doing mm -hmm. as coaches. And as coaches, all we're doing, we're, we are knowledge shippers. We're thinking partners. We're just trying to make our, uh, our help, our clients to think more broadly for themselves. Mm -hmm. And and how best do we do that? Um, and, and to me, when, when it really is simply, I receive what you give me and I'm just giving it back to you. And I'm curious about it. That it actually simplifies coaching um, instead of like, oh, I have to remember these powerful questions um, that I was taught, um, you know, or to look for something that's gonna create the breakthrough when actually, uh, holding up that that dynamic mirror is often what create, creates the breakthrough. It's like I can finally see, you know, Richard Boyatza said, you know, we can't see beyond the box until we actually see the box. And I think that's what we're doing when we use reflection is we're helping people see the box they hold in their mm. brains. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Very well, very well stated. I really like that. And often when we ask our clients, well, you know, what has been the value of this conversation or this coaching relationship? What's mm -hmm. been the value for you? Mm -hmm. A lot of times I find people say that you're a sounding board. I can yeah. just talk about what's mm -hmm. on my mind and where I feel stuck and where I feel challenged and where I want to have a breakthrough. And you just feed that back to me without an agenda. Without right. And so it's a safe space to do that. Mm -hmm. I know. And that's of great value because number one, we can't do it ourselves. And number two, um, we often don't feel safe to do it with anyone else or just to even take the time <laughs> to do it. So in your book then, or your work, mm -hmm. what is the, the main question that you're answering? I think it's, you know, how best do we 
help our clients think for themselves? If our clients say, you know, I want to be a better leader Mm -hmm. or I want to be a more effective communicator, things like that. Mm -hmm. How, how would you work with someone using reflection? Yeah. You know, Cinder, how it's, whatever it is that they bring to the table is never quite what it is they end up working on. And so like to say, um, I want to be a better leader. You know, we have to explore, uh, what two things what is better and what is leader uh, first i would want to know you know which of those concepts you know can we explore i i find oftentimes just exploring the concept of leader you know what is leader to you um and what is it you think you're missing is is an interesting thing um because it that peels down to uh what they're afraid to do, um, like trust, what they feel that where they feel they're inadequate, and the judgment they might fear. Mm -hmm. Um, Better, to be a better leader. (laughs) Again, so what is it better means you're doing something now, okay, and you would like to improve it. So so what is that? What is that? And and, you know, and, and what I find so fascinating is when you put the two together, they often think, you know, better is that I can motivate people, that I can activate them, that I can get better results. But then you look at their concept of leader, you know, and leader is inspiring people to give more on their own, to, uh, to be a, their higher self, play a bigger game, which requires a lot of trust and believing in them and listening (laughs) to them. Mm -hmm. So, so there's this kind of like a conflict of uh, active passive, what they view as passive. And it, it comes into their daily, their daily being that um, I have to get things done, but I want people to, to, you know, I want to inspire people to step up and work on their own which means I have to step back. Um, So it's one step forward, one step back. And so just by asking to find those things to me and reflecting back what I hear, that they can start to hear their uh, conflict values, that they start to hear their limitations. You know, I had a client just last night who, you know, she's, it's just like these reoccurring patterns. So, um, um, she's tired. She's exhausted. Mm-hmm. And when we get into looking at uh, her difficulties at work, it's like, well, um, you know, she has uh, is having a hard time. She's got new leaders working under her, so she doesn't trust them yet. You know, they're not going to get the the results that she needs right now. So it's like she wants to let go because she's tired and exhausted. Um, but she won't let go because she doesn't trust them, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, <laughs> where in the middle can you stand um, so you don't kill yourself? Yeah. And I mean that literally because she's, you know, she's getting to a place where she's getting depressed, you know, about her energy and 
and and her loss of joy in her life and and all of that and and how she is with her children and oh you know and so um I, it's not about answers as much as it is uh being able to 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 look at it so you know let me give you a metaphor when I, my first job was in a, in a psychiatric hospital and my first master's degree was actually broadcasting um and so i was hired to push tvs around in this hospital <laughs> but i had studied um how to use video as a feedback mechanism and how it helped when people watch themselves on video over time um, you know at first it always makes them feel awful <laughs> and then over time they start seeing their gaps and where they want to improve. The woman who, uh, the psychiatric nurse in charge of the women who were anorexic came to me and to ask me if there's any programs I had that she could share in educational programs. And so I told her about my research uh, and the ability to help people really see themselves and start building on their, it actually builds on their self-esteem. And so, she said, well, you know, she was willing to try anything with her patients, but she went to her attending doctor and he said, as long as he could be there, um, we could videotape the patients just talking about their lives and who they are. The interesting thing about anorexia is that when the women would look in the mirror, they would see themselves as fat, even though they were wasting away. Mm. When we turned on the video and then and replayed it to them, they saw the truth of who they were. And that, I mean, it was painful, but it put, launched them on a journey of recovery um, once they could see the truth. Mm -hmm. I see the same thing in reflection. And that's why I say it's not really mirroring because it's not static. Um, it's an active replay where people see the truth of who they are um, and identify, and even if it's painful in the moment, which is the discomfort zone that they recognize what gaps need to be filled in, what old beliefs need to be replaced and what actions they truly need to take that they've been avoiding. So I've, I'm a true believer in reflection. Uh, you know, and that, that, that in, when we look at reflective inquiry, it's the reflection that's so powerful in the inquiry that just tips people over the edge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is there a correct way of reflecting back what somebody has said? Yeah. Yeah. I often just start with, so here's what I heard you say, or let me see if I've got it right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'll summarize it. Oftentimes I'll relate it back to something they said earlier. Um, you know, you just kind of like those keywords, you just pop in your brain so you can... Mm -hmm pull them back out. Um, so it's, so I hear, I hear you say, I noticed you shifted. Um, I saw uh, you look away when you said that. So it truly is just sharing cleanly what you saw, what you heard, what you noticed, what you witnessed yeah. in that moment. So, you know, and, and to do, it's, it's interesting, it's because I know it's hard sometimes to distinguish this whole thing called intuition from interpretation. 
I, I think the more cleanly you can just give them back their own words and their own expressions, the better it is. Sometimes I'll, I'll encapsulate it into just a couple of words, um, you know, or a metaphor. Like this woman was talking about today because of her health, she has to change uh, her lifestyle. And, and, and she was talking about what has to happen with her business. And I, and I said, uh, it sounds like you're going through a divorce. Yeah, mm -hmm. and which launched her on this whole other thing about what is divorce and um, what changes and what you have to let go of that she just couldn't seem to get to before. You know, so sometimes it is the metaphor or just a few words that I encapsulate, but I, I've worked hard for it not to be my interpretation, but what I'm picking up, what I hear, and maybe there's a picture that I see mm. that I share. And, and all of this is always an invitation because many times, because they're thinking for themselves, they tell, they'll say, no, that's not quite it, um, which is great because I'm just sharing what I picked up, you know, and so they're not disagreeing with me. They're disagreeing with uh, what was presented, mm -hmm. you know, so I don't take that personally. I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that, that's the distinction between interpreting what they said Mm -hmm. and just reflecting back what they said. Yeah, right, as an invitation. Mm -hmm. An invitation to look at it. You know, let's explore it. Is it right or wrong? So let's assume that um, somebody comes to you in the initial conversation, and this is, this is what they want from the coaching, and this is what they perceive are some of the obstacles to having that. And then you get into the coaching uh, relationship and the first first session they bring kind of the same things they're saying the same things you're reflecting back to them mm -hmm. what you hear the second and third maybe fourth session they continue to bring back the same <laughs> <laughs> well that's actually what happened last night I said you know she started into this whole thing about how, how tired and exhausted and you know and and, and I said to her I said stop I said, this is your pattern. You know, how many conversations have we had on this already? You know, and I'm very direct about that. But I mean, this is someone who's been with me for a couple of years now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so it's like, are we going to talk about this again? Are you ready to do something about this? Or this is just the pattern you're, you're accepting to have? And she said, yes, I know it's my pattern. <laughs> Well, you know, and this comes back to something you, you know, we learned in our training years ago that if you're clinging to the pattern, there's got to be something that you're getting out of it. She's a very successful businesswoman. She owns a very well-known franchise. She's the largest franchise owner in Asia. What if you were just to sell, <laughs> you know, if you're so tired and, and she's not ready. No, she likes being, you know, uh, the successful entrepreneur she she likes the whole lifestyle and challenges and you know there's that dichotomy but bringing her to tears mm -hmm. what do you do in this case people want to change but there's no real catalyst to change yeah. often that comes with either a, a severe illness or losing a job yeah or losing a marriage or losing something a crisis 
has one say, okay, enough is enough. Now I need, do need to change. How do you hang in there as a coach with someone mm-hmm. who brings the same patterns? Yeah. You know, it's so funny, isn't it? The same thing with companies that they won't change until there's a crisis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's awful. We just hang in there anyway. <laughs> I think just bringing it back again. So it's like, okay, so um, it's the same conversation. Um, you know, are you ready uh, to move or not? Um, but you know, Cinder, you know, the whole concept, you can ask the question, are you, are you now ready to let go? But it's not about letting go as much as it is uh, what's next. Mm. And it's an identity crisis. Who will I be when I'm not that? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we ra- all ran into that when we left corporate and put coach on our business card. <laughs> yes. It's like, what's that? <laughs> that I'm no longer director of, vice president of, you know, I'm, uh, I'm this thing that may or may not be held in high regard. It's not just stepping into the unknown, but that question of who will I be? And yet every day is stepping into the unknown and we just don't recognize it. Yes, absolutely. I want to go back just a little bit with your question about why do coaches or why do people not uh, stay with the reflective inquiry? Is there a discomfort? You know, the brain is a meaning-making machine, and so we have to make meaning of everything. And, and, and so we have our stories, and the stories live in this context that we create uh, what's important to us and how we see the world, um, which then directs our behavior. And we go about our days not questioning that because we can't. We don't have, you know, we have to function. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and really, that's what ego is, that, you know, who, how I define myself. When we use reflection well, and it, it puts a crack in the frame of who I think I am and how I see the world, well, the brain can barely tolerate that. And, and actually what happens in that moment is the brain goes offline to rewire, to start to make sense of what I now see. So as it goes offline, there's this long pause. It's not that you know your client thinking it's their brain restructuring and they're like kind of like you know they give you that what i call the baby stare where um you know when babies see something for the very first time Mm -hmm. before they cry or laugh they just give you that that kind of like dumb look that huh (laughs) (laughs) because they're trying to make sense of it and that's what's actually happening in that moment of silence is their brain is now trying to make sense of this new awareness. I mean, that's what new awareness is when we look at like the ICF competencies. It's not that I'd like, oh, look, I see another option I can take. I mean, this is like a whole new awareness of who I think I am and how I see the world. And once the brain rewires to create that, you can't go back. You can't go back. Yeah, and so it's all of a sudden I realize um, my, uh, who I, who I am, what I'm doing, um, how I'm hurting myself, um, 
what it is I'm avoiding. You know, all those things we call blind spots, um, I can now glimpse them because I have a broader sense of a, a broader perspective, you know, because you cracked my frame. Mm. So, so I always say that's, that's the worst time to step in and fix them. <laughs> you know, and that's what coaches do. They, you know, they, they start to backpedal because they get uncomfortable with that. Or they're like, Oh my God, the, the person's in pain. I have to fix them. Um, and, uh, and then we've quit holding our clients as creative, resourceful, and whole. We look at them as broken um, in mm. that moment. And, and it's, it's like, no, 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 no. That's when you have to just hold it you, with courage <sighs> and breathing. You hold the space. You know, and if it goes on painfully long, you know, then you say, so, so what's coming up for you? What's emerging? You know, what is it that, that you're thinking about now? Yes, very powerful. I love that. I love your description of that. For the leader mm -hmm. who really wants to develop their people, yeah. what advice do you have for them? It is that dance of uh, handing over and taking back. You know, and I see delegation as a development. You know, mm -hmm. it's like the client I was telling you that she's like so afraid that she's so afraid of handing over things because things won't get done right, then she doesn't. But I'm sure she made mistakes along the way. So that uh, the whole inability of leaders to, um, to really allow people to grow, to trip a little bit, to make a few mistakes. And, and then, you know, looking at the future, not like what you did bad, because people know what they did bad. <laughs> you know, yeah, of saying, so, so this didn't achieve what you wanted. What would you do differently? You know, would you be willing to explore what might get a better result? So there's that willingness to give them space. And I, so Cindy, you know, I teach all over the world mm -hmm. and I have this exercise in, in listening where we look at the impact of emotions on listening. And I ask everywhere, so what are the dominant emotions in the workplace? And you know, it's the same thing everywhere that it's um, overworked, anxious, fearful, tired. <laughs> you know? And it's like nowhere in the world do people feel differently in the workplace. I mean, there's sometimes there might be some excitement, but it's more of that. Mm. Um, and so when leaders say, I, you know, I don't have time to coach. Um, I'm like, oh, that's really, so you don't have time to create space for yourself to do other things, <laughs> you know? Uh. It's, it's like, well, you know, when things get better, well, things aren't going to get better because they're always going to be crazy. Even when you're successful, it's crazy. You know, so when is that good time um, for you just to take a moment to step back to develop people? I think really pushing them to identify that and to see how they cannot move forward until they take the time to let people think for themselves, to encourage them to take some risks, um, even making it okay to make mistakes, that we have to create the space. The leaders have to create that. It's not going to be created for them. And their impatience to get things done, um, they have to really cap that 
they'll get lost in um, the, the quick moving future because people won't be able to to think with agility they won't be able to think for themselves they won't be able to innovate very interesting i was going to ask you about that uh knowing that you do teach all over the world how much does culture influence the work that you do the brain works in humans fairly much the same so mm -hmm. <laughs> so those things that we react to and and how we process information is all the same what shifts is the willingness to be vulnerable and open. You know, the afraid of making mistakes is more profound in Asia than it is, let's say, Latin America. You know, and I, I didn't say the U.S. because in the U.S., uh, you know, we're so different culturally in the different regions. Mm -hmm. You know, the West from the East, the North from the South. It's hard to stereotype the US. Um, but I often tell my, uh, my clients in Asia that it's, it's very similar that um, the unwillingness to be direct, the reluctance to trust and delegate um, and allow people to make mistakes is very similar here um, in most parts. You know, I think for us here in the West, it's a little bit more open, um, but not in the rest of the country. <laughs> You know, so, you know, it's interesting. And, and again, with culture, you know, I'm very careful because um, cultures are changing in any of the big countries, just like the U.S. There's different cultures in different parts of the country. I teach a lot both in Shanghai and Beijing. The culture in Shanghai is totally different than Beijing. Hmm. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Beijing is much more traditional and closed. Shanghai is, uh, has a lot more uh, multinational uh, companies, and so they're a little bit more open. What, like in, in China, I find uh, when I work with Chinese companies that there's much more openness um, to accepting the changes that need to be made. So they don't like them, but they know that it has to happen. Like uh, listening more. Uh, I do a lot of leaders coach training in, in uh, China um, with Chinese companies, not just uh, the companies with expats. I find that that took years here in the U.S. for uh, U.S. companies to truly get that uh, coaching isn't something they can learn in a half a day. Um, that it's a mindset shift, it's a way of being with people, and it's going to take, you know, uh, uh, more than an event, that it's a process. In the last few years in the U.S., there's an, more of an acceptance of that, but, um, but there wasn't before that. It Interesting. Was, yeah. yeah. Quick, fix my brain, give me a few skills, and I'm out of here. Uh -huh. Whereas in China, it was more about hierarchy. Um, but they know with the younger generation, bless the younger generation, <laughs> you know, that they're expecting their leaders to really listen to them and develop them and believe in them and, and, um, and have two-way conversations, whatever country that they're in. So uh, it is, there's a shift going on, a powerful shift, um, you know, which is, I'm happy to see. 
Well, and you're very much a part of that, of uh, enabling that ship, that shift. Oh, Maybe enable you. is the wrong word, but in, in helping that shift to happen, I think it's, it's so important. So I, I am curious, this is just totally off topic. I am curious um, in when you're working with Chinese companies or mm -hmm. companies in other uh, mm -hmm. countries, mm -hmm. are they speaking English or do you have interpreters? Interpreters. Mm. Both, both in Russia and China, where I go, both of them twice a year, uh, occasionally, like I just taught this class in China to this company that their parent company is American. Um, I had an interpreter, but the CEO, um, uh, who's a woman, spoke to her leadership team in English, even though I taught the class with an interpreter. They obviously all spoke English, but in terms of learning, she felt it was important that to truly get the concept, some of them may not be able to conceptualize well mm. in English. So we still used an interpreter, although when I did my coaching demo, we didn't because they were just watching. Uh, so that was an interesting mix. Other Chinese companies, if their parent company is Chinese, then definitely need an interpreter. Um, I, like there's one company I teach for in China whose parent company is French, but uh, English is the language, the international language. So uh, most of them speak some level of English. Um, Russia now uh, was a little harder because in Russia, up till what 20 years ago it was like banned if you had an english book the younger generations now have english but the older ones don't and so it's a real interesting they all want to talk to me in english you know and i can't do that in the class but i would say that the transformation of leadership and speaking english and all that was slower in russia than china with this book and when does it come out June. I've been putting out bits of it in my blogs, you know, just testing out concepts and I'll be doing like little videos and before the book even comes out, we'll be out there, uh, you know, sharing a lot of the uh, content because I, I, I just think it's so important. Yes. And I, I appreciate your sharing it with us. And I will uh, absolutely put a link to your blog and your bio and ways to contact you. Thank you. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll publish all of those because I think this is also a very important topic, not only for coaches, but also for leaders who value developing others and mm -hmm. want to have a view of what that conversation looks like lot of pressure for mm -hmm. leaders to develop others for a multitude of reasons. Absolutely. But I don't see a lot of really good training in yeah. how to help leaders have those development conversations. I know. And it's all based on these, you know, um, uh, like linear, really problem solving mod models, like even the grow model is, you know, they go, okay, here's the goal. Um, yeah. What do you think about it? What are your options? You know, what's the consequences? So it's still, it's still the same old thing. Um, and again, they think that they're supposed to be just asking questions, which is hard to shift into question mode. Mm -hmm. But it's easy enough. Somebody stops you in a hallway and says, um, 
oh, I've got all these, you know, things crashing in on me. And, and, and you say, okay, so, you know, you've told me like um, four different uh, uh, problems that have risen at once. Um, as you've been talking about it, you know, which is the most critical one that you need to address right now, you know, and so, you, you know, you base it on reflection. It's easy enough to do that, you know, because they, a person is just giving it to you and you just give it back. You just give it back mm. and see what they think. And so it's, it's like, yeah, I know it's at first, it seems hard to, to not just give people the solution. You know, I always say to my leaders, are you willing, willing to give up being the expert in order to be the coach? Well, that's it. That's the shift right there. Yeah. I think that a lot of, a lot of leaders that I work with, they're extremely smart. It's the mindset that I'm the leader, I have the answers, so I need to provide the answers. And exactly. if I ask questions or do something like that, not only does it feel awkward, they're going to think I'm stupid. I'm going to think I'm stupid that I don't have it. Well, you know, and it's so fascinating, though, because I find that often with newer leaders, it's even worse because it's like, but I must establish my credibility, which is really fascinating because a lot of times they're young and they have to manage somebody who's older than them. And trusting the person with experience is probably a little better than telling them what to do. <laughs> yes. What's the most important advice that you have for the listener, whether they're, you know, an individual who is looking to coaching or a leader who wants to be a coach? Mm. When I said to you that all over the world, uh, these people are feeling uh, the pinch and they're, um, they're exhausted, they're overwhelmed, they're pressured, uh, anxious. And what that does is you can't be present when you're feeling like that. And, and so I think before you can do any of these things, it's about how can I <sighs> shift, turn, and be present to this person in the moment. You know, my favorite quote from the discomfort zone is um, yeah, the, what they want from you. They want you to be present more than they need you to be perfect. Mm -hmm. So they don't necessarily need you to be the brilliant one. They need you to be there with them in that moment. Um, so they're not alone, you know, and with that, it starts to build their confidence um, and to help them think through what it is, um, you know, they need to solve. Before any other skill, can you breathe away all that other stuff, turn and be present mm. with the person in front of you? And that goes for coaches as well, you know, to, to, to uh, be present in the moment and then to stay present, uh, meaning that they have to catch their fears, they have to catch their judgment um, and let it go and come back to be present. Mm. That, that's wonderfully said. I had a, a fellow who was with Google for a long time and brilliant guy, you know, smart like most of the other leaders that we work with. And he left Google after 10 years and went and uh, now he's in Turkey and he's working with the uh, Turkish government. And he said that at Google, no one ever asked him what his purpose was. No nah. one, yeah. They were moving so fast. Yeah. And it was one of the reasons why he, it was easy for him to leave because they really didn't know him. Isn't that amazing? I've had so many, I had a 
top female engineer from Honeywell say the same thing? They don't really see me. You know, when she left. Uh, yeah, it's like, even if we practice these things that we're taught in leadership class about um, authenticity and that we're not really seeing people. Yeah. What is a, a habit or mantra that you have to keep you focused on what's important? <laughs> um, well, that's an interesting question. So what's important? I mean, keeping me focused, uh, you know, is a matter of what is it that, you know, who is it that I want to be today? What is it that I want to achieve? Keeping me focused in the bigger picture uh, comes back to your Google guy, my larger purpose, you know, keeping that in mind of what is it that I'm wanting to help create in the bigger picture? You know, so it's like, yeah, I do these things for coaches and leaders, but I know that in the bigger picture, what I'm wanting to do is create better connections, more meaningful connections, where we truly value the human spirit in each other. Very clear. Yeah. Very clear. I love that. You've got a lot of wisdom. You've been in the coaching arena for a long time. You teach coaching to leaders and to coaches and managers. Uh, what's one thing you that you've learned over the years of coaching that you didn't know before? You know, I think when you say didn't know, I think it's um, what we did know and we've forgotten. So it's it's mm. a re remembering, remembering. You know, the the essence of coaching is that we truly are a partner with this amazing human being sitting in front of us and. And they are so capable of finding their way with it, just a little bit of us standing by their side. And, and we've forgotten that when we get stuck in the processes and the models and the methods um, that everybody's pumping out out there. That, you know, coming back to that honoring and being with, coaching actually gives people that sense of, you care about me, my purpose, my heart, my soul. And, and I think it's just remembering that, that, that essence that has had gotten, I think has gotten lost along the way. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's very well said. Thank you. I appreciate that. All that noise and distraction out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and another book. <laughs> yeah, and another book, which I cannot wait until it comes out and to see how it evolves. I know it's a creative process, what you think you know what it is now, but by the time it's released, it'll be something just really awesome that I know you're going to be ah. very proud of. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> oh, I bet. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience? Something that we don't know about you? Oh, my goodness. My, so much about me. Actually, you know, um, I, you know I just did a, my second TEDx talk on how to use anger as a force for good. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, yeah. So here I'm talking about, um, you know, purpose, soul, connection, and uh, uh, yeah, I've had a lot of anger in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and things that can um, come up that I'm still angry about now. But um, I, I learned along the way out of necessity how to use the energy of anger to uh, 
for to create things in my life and um and and how to shift it for other people mm. so uh yeah so um i'm i'm proud of that that last uh, talk and it it shows that if i didn't learn how to do that i'd either be dead or in prison right now so <laughs> all right so you laid the bomb on the last 5 minutes of our call <laughs> So I'm going to have to invite you back to find out what that anger was all about. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining. I really, I really enjoyed reconnecting with you and, and hearing about your new book. I learned a lot from it and I'm sure, you know, our audience will too. Thank you. I'm Cinder okay, Niamela, until next and time. you've been listening to the Inspired Wisdom Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope these conversations illuminate your path to your highest potential. For show notes and links to resources mentioned during today's episode, please go to inspiredwisdom.us. You can also follow Inspired Wisdom on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, design a fulfilling and prosperous life that engages your talents and passions.